Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I also have a very strong philosophy that a happy team makes happy patients. That's before all this happened. He's not a criminal mastermind. We got 10 seconds left, Joseph. Yeah, he's not. He took a broad spectrum approach. I think he tried three things, perhaps, hoping that he would hit on something. And obviously he did, Jesse. Well, if he did this, uh, left quite a bread trail of crumbs and of evidence. Joseph Scott Morgan, thank you so much. And that does it for us tonight. Banfield starts right now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Banfield. It is Wednesday, also known as Hump Day, also known as Almost the Weekend. Um, So I am going to yank your chain uh, all during this show. And the reason is because I got my chain yanked earlier today. I had to kind of debate with myself and my um, editorial staff whether I should show you the video that I'm about to show you. But we believe, collectively, that there is a lot of editorial merit to what you're about to see. Um... I'm going to give you a big warning off the top that you're going to see the execution of a drug lord. Um, what is purported to be a video of a drug lord bound and gagged. He's tied at the hands. He's tied at the feet. He is on the floor of a boat that is floating out in the Caribbean. And uh, you can hear the voices off camera saying, don't show our faces. And he's bloodied and... Um, They literally throw him um, in the ocean. They throw him in the sea. It is hard to watch something like this. You are literally seeing uh, the end of a man's life who is very much alive. But there is merit to the conversation that I want to have with you tonight. Some people watch that video and they are appalled by the horror of treating a human being like this, the torture, the sickening aspect of throwing a live person bound and gagged and an anchor tied on his belly into the sea. Some people say, well, you live and die by the sword, don't you? If you're a cartel trafficker, if you're a drug kingpin, you've invited your fate right there. I don't know who you are. You could be either. You could be both. You may not know who you are until you see this video and you hear our guests. But if you lost a kid to fentanyl, if you lost a loved one to illegal drugs that come into this country, you may feel very different about watching that video than you did 10 years ago. You're going to see that big warning. It's disturbing. It sat with me all day, and I really wasn't sure whether we should bring the story to you. And in the end, a very, very robust conversation with my team. And we decided it is a very, very smart conversation to have and something that you yourself can process um, and see who you are in this debate. So that's coming. Um, Also, the number of people that Dennis Rader killed, technically it's 10. Yeah, that's what he admitted to, right? Find, torture, kill, the serial killer, Dennis Rader. But there are at least five cold cases that the investigators think actually might be his. And they are hard at work. 
And there is one among those five that may be the most promising. Sweet little 16-year-old cheerleader named Cindy Kinney from Oklahoma. She disappeared in 1976, leaving her parents' laundromat. And she seems to be the case that might tie to Dennis Rader. And so we have been closely watching this. We've been talking to the sheriffs almost daily. They did a dig at Dennis Rader's home and found a whole bunch of stuff that actually they believe could pertain to Cynthia Kinney's disappearance. She was never found. They found nylon stockings all knotted up like ligature. They found chains, other kinds of bindings. They found trinkets and hobby items. Were they Cindy Kinney's? I'm curious, you're curious, but there is no one more curious than her childhood best friend who has not stopped looking for Cindy for almost 50 years. She is live on the program tonight. She's going to talk to us about what this all means to her because uh, there are very big human dynamics that are involved in solving these cases five decades later. That's coming. And then I want to show you a picture. It's a bit of a riddle. It's unusual. Chemistry PhD crouched in front of an apartment door. He's got a syringe in his hands. What do you think he's doing right here? Take a look. There's, there is a hint in the picture. You really got to look closely. You might want to rewind a couple times. Um, what he is doing led him to be arrested and charged with battery and a bunch of other charges too. I'm going to solve this riddle for you. I'm going to blow the video up a little bigger. I'm going to tell you the whole tale of what was going on in this apartment and what was going on downstairs. That's all coming in just a moment. Let's start with this ethical debate, moral, emotional battle, watching a drug kingpin meet his fate in the most gruesome, torturous way. Well, maybe there are more, but this is pretty bad. He's alive. I'm going to give you the warning right now. I'm going to show the whole video. So if you've got kids, please, I say this a lot. Look, graphic warning. I'm even putting it on the screen. It's disturbing. They're, uh, they're going to lift him up, and they're going to throw him overboard, bound at the hands and feet. His gag has come out of his mouth. There is an anchor tied around his belly. He is looking at the cameraman. He is very much alive. Let me just pause for a moment, and uh, I want to play this for you. But uh, you should know that... They ask that their faces not be shown, whoever's videotaping. So this comes to us via the website El Matutino. It's really making the rounds on social media. So a lot of people are seeing that video. And a lot of people are waiting. Look, if, if you're the person that goes to the comments, you know, because you just want to see what people are doing and saying, this is one of those videos where you should probably spend some time in the comments just to see what your fellow Americans and people all over the world are saying about it. Because not everybody feels the same. There is a, a healthy do- dose of disgust. There is a healthy dose of being appalled and sickened by watching a man, a human being, murdered this way. And then there's the other side. How many people did he murder? 
He was a drug kingpin. He was a, a drug lord, a trafficker. He was responsible for a ton of those drugs that are killing our kids. How were their deaths? They weren't expecting their deaths either. It's a real moral dilemma. And I don't think I would have felt the same way 10 years ago before the fentanyl crisis, 20 years ago before I saw, you know, heroin all over the streets of New York. I don't know if I'm changing. I don't know if you're changing. I don't know if this video changes you. I'm going to play it one more time so you can hear the voices. You should know that what they're saying, I'll translate it for you. Make sure none of our faces can be seen, one of the kidnappers says. By the way, the name of the man who's being murdered is Reynaldo Fuentes. He had an alias, and the alias was Taliban. Charming. Taliban, um, here's, before we see the video, because I'm going to give you a whole other context to put to this. Taliban was being murdered um, as a revenge plot because Mr. Fuentes apparently decided to steal 450 pounds of cocaine from other dealers, and uh, that was worth about $10 million. He said that as he was in possession of it, he was being chased by the Coast Guard, so he dumped it. When, in reality, the reported story is that he actually went back for it, and then he retrieved it and he rewrapped that 450 uh, pounds of cocaine worth $10 million and his henchmen snitched on him. There is not a lot of honor among thieves or drug dealers or murderers, as it turns out. I could have told you that. So apart from being a drug kingpin who did that, he also is the father of three. So there will be three kids, presumably, who will see a lot of that on the Internet. And with that background, I want to show you that video again. Here it is. It's disturbing on a lot of levels, no matter how you feel about it. It's disturbing. Um, Is this kind of summary justice unacceptable, no matter who the offender? Or is it you get what you deserve? So I want to bring in a couple of people who have a very unique perspective on this. Tim Ryan is a former addict turned uh, drug abuse interventionist. Tim lost his own son, Nick, to addiction. He is the author of From Dope to Hope, A Man in Recovery. Also with me tonight, Gail Meeks. Gail lost her 24-year-old son, TJ, last year to a fentanyl overdose and is on a mission to make fentanyl a household name. And Jan Ronis, he's a criminal defense attorney with legal expertise in Mexican and Jamaican cartels. Thank you to all three of you for joining me uh, for this conversation. I think it's an important conversation. Jan, I'd like to begin with you. What is your take 
on the video that you just saw. And you can tell me about the legitimacy of it, the realities of it, uh, whether this is nothing or whether this is as bad as it gets. What are your thoughts? Well, it's certainly uh, shocking. And when I see something like that, I'm grateful that we live in the United States, but we have a system of law enforcement, which is generally very honest, uh, that if we have a problem with somebody, if we know somebody's breaking the law, we can call the police, they'll respond. They generally respond uh, quickly. And we have a judicial system that can deal with people that are breaking the law. But vigilanteism uh, is certainly not a good alternative to to uh, to justice in any country, certainly not the United States. So thank you. We live in a country that law enforcement is able to take care of these problems. In addition, vigilanteism leads to grudges uh, being satisfied. And, for example, President Duarte, recent president of the Philippines, was using uh, basically ordering uh, drug offenders or drug drug users to be shot on site, traffickers. And so that resulted in great injustices because people were settling grudges behind the guise of the president trying to legitimize vigilanteism. And so I'll, we have to think about the case of Emmett Till in the 50s, who was killed by vigilante, uh, you know, a group of vigilante thugs in the, in the South. So it doesn't take much imagination to figure out how vigilanteism can turn into a horrific uh, form of justice in any country, particularly a country like the United States. And, of course, the difference between this and Emmett Till is just beyond even a, an hour-long program um, because vigilantes went after an innocent you know, kid. Um, but, you know, Gail, I wanted to get your reaction on this, given the fact that you lost your son, TJ. Um, I sometimes feel as though parents who have gone through what you're going through would maybe see a sense of satisfaction in in seeing a video like that, but I truly don't know. Um, For me, it's more of, it's a senseless death. Um, You know, no matter what, it's still senseless. So he made some choices that got him there, but, um, you know, so do kids. They make choices to try and experiment with drugs and then they could die because of this fentanyl crisis. Every single illegal drug on the street has some kind of fentanyl in it, which is 50 times more strong than heroin and 100 times more strong than morphine. And in all honesty, you're playing Russian roulette when you try it. So for me, it's just more of a it's a senseless death. Um, And it's sad. It's just very sad. Tim, the um, you know what Gail just said, the prevalence of fentanyl on our streets in this country is thanks in large part to the man that we just saw being summarily executed by other criminals. Is there a sense of vengeance or satisfaction? Um, what are your thoughts, given the fact that you also are grieving the loss of your son, Nick? You know, it's when you have cartel dealers robbing each other, of course they're going to kill each other. But what people tend to forget is when you are seeing the families, the mothers, the fathers, whose kids or husbands or wives are in and out of treatment, then you have drug dealers getting them high-end treatment centers and sober livings. The cartels have flooded the streets. Unfortunately, our government isn't doing anything about this. They act like it, but take California. Tulare County, a year ago, they arrested two gentlemen with 25 million fentanyl pills. They were released without any bail whatsoever, and they skipped and disappeared. That should be no hold bail. This kills people. They should be putting people, giving them life sentences. I've shifted my thinking. When my son died from heroin and Xanax, the kids let him die. They knew he was 
uh, overdose, and they never called 911. They should have been charged with drug-induced homicide. I put them all into treatment, and they kept using, they kept hurting other people, and it gets needs to get to a point where enough's enough, and parents, unfortunately, are stepping in and taking out dealers. I know of parents that have done this. I know parents that have... Uh, went and fought drug dealers because they don't know what to do. It's hard to get help today. I think you actually have a personal anecdote about that. Can you tell me about the person you know that actually beat up a drug dealer? Absolutely. It was a father in Southern Illinois, and uh, they wouldn't let his son leave the state to go to treatment because he was on parole, and this guy kept showing up, and the father took him aside and, uh, and beat him severely. And coincidentally, another agency happened to videotape it because this guy was under investigation and they said, hey, look, you can't be doing this, but we appreciate what you did. Unfortunately, people are having to start to take things in their own hands um, because here in California, I could call 911 right now. They're not showing up. They're just oversaturated. Look at the homelessness. You can do drugs on the street in California and it's okay. You have families walking by this social media is attracting these kids to this. We need more education and prevention. Jan, I want to um, do another warning because on on cable news, a lot of viewers sometimes join uh, inside the program and they may not have seen the warning from before. And this is such a a disturbing video that I do want to to bring some people up to speed on on what it is we're talking about. Uh, So with that, I'll just, again, give the warning. We're about to show some very disturbing video. I'm just going to talk over it. I'm not going to pause for the sound of it. It is the um, execution of a drug kingpin for having stolen drugs from another drug kingpin. And Jan, while we're looking at that, do any of these jurisdictions, these other countries, do they give a damn to solve this murder? Do they care? Do they vigorously try to prosecute this or find the killers? Or do they feel as though, look, take all, take yourselves all out for all we care? Well, it's hard to make any general conclusions about this single act of just horrible behavior. I, I don't know what the the background uh, to, to it is. And we don't even know for sure because this was an extra extrajudicial proceeding, uh, a trial and an execution. We don't even know really whether this man was guilty of that was the other traffickers are accusing him of. But I've, and my heart goes out to Tim and Gail. But I will say this, the American pharmaceutical industry is, is responsible for much of the insatiable appetite in this country for drugs, which is just mind boggling. I can't understand it. And so we can't overlook that. And the, and the fact the truth of the matter is that we have tried to deal with it and understandably um, and nobly from a law enforcement point of view. And as a result, we have literally tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in prison serving sentences for, for drug offenses. And nothing has changed. In fact, it's gotten worse. And so there's a lot of dirty hands here and there's a lot of um the futile attempts to try to solve the problem. The fact of the matter is one of the worst things that could ever happen to a parent in this country is to have a child become addicted to drugs. And certainly Tim and Gail can speak for that. I don't know what the answer is. I know that the answer is so the, the, the solution so far has not worked. And so um, God willing, this country will somehow give up its insatiable appetite for drugs and maybe things will get better. But as I say, the worst thing that could ever happen to a parent in America is to have a to lose a child to drug addiction. Um, and one of the worst things that could happen to the American criminal justice system is to lose uh, our bearings and resort to vigilanteism like we've seen in that picture. You know, Gail, I wonder as you you know think about TJ and how you lost him, that man, 
you know, who went overboard may very well have supplied some of the drugs that killed uh, Nick and TJ. Um, and, you know, I do wonder if there's any value to that video going viral, if it would deter anyone else uh, from dealing or getting into the business of drugs or maybe even taking them. I, don't, I doubt that. But do you think that there's any value in that video actually going viral to, to stanch this problem? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would hope so. But then, I mean, I guess to me, if I were a drug dealer, my thought process would probably be I just won't cross the cartel because if I don't cross the cartel, then they won't they won't kill me. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, um, parents are the ones that are unfortunately the first line of defense. And in, I mean, in many cases, the only def- only line of defense um, the cartels are larger than some small countries. They have more money than some small countries. So to get to think that we haven't even started as a country to try to go after the drug problem, in my opinion. So unfortunately, I feel like parents have to be vigilant starting in elementary school, talking to their children about not even trying it because they could die. Yeah. Um, and that's the fact now. I mean, Years ago, that wasn't the case. But now, if you try something once, you could die. It can end your and life. And that's, that's right. so scary. And, um, you know, unfortunately, it's not all over the news every day like like COVID was. And yet, it's still the number one killer of ages 40 and below. So why wouldn't it be all over the news? And then on top of that, why isn't it in all of the schools? How come it's not on posters everywhere? Um, I kind of feel like sometimes people have like this shame about, well, if you're on drugs or a drug addict, we'll get over it because you're going to, you're, you are the problem. You're, you're helping to kill your kids. Right. Gail Meeks, thank you uh, for your words. Thank you for your perspective on this very difficult topic. Um, Tim Ryan as well. Um, my heart goes out to, to the both of you. And um, Jen Ronas, thank you too for, for your perspective on this. Thank you to all three of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up in just a moment, uh, Dennis Rader's daughter says that BTK is literally rotting away in prison, that he is half the size he used to be after two decades in a cell. And that's what you get for killing 10 people, like he did. But as he rots, police in three states are hard at work connecting him to three more cold cases, maybe even five, and they may be getting close, especially with one. One of those victims, a young cheerleader from Oklahoma, may just be the case that breaks wide open. After a few moments, her childhood friend is going to join me to talk about searching for Cindy for the last five decades and what linking to Raider could mean after all this time. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. On paper, Dennis Rader killed 10 people because that's what he cops to. But police think there could be at least five more. His daughter thinks there could be hundreds. The five that 
could be linked to Dennis Rader were actually posted by his daughter, Carrie Rawson. Let me just name the victims. The first one is Cynthia Cindy Kinney from Pawhuska, Oklahoma. She disappeared in 1976, never seen again. Then there's Mary Lang from Hayes, Kansas, disappeared in 1983. Shauna Garber from McDonald County, Missouri, disappeared in 1990. And then two other unnamed cases. Uh, one is sort of an unsolved murder in Kansas that Dennis Rader referred to as Project Bell. And an unsolved violent crime known as Oklahoma Case Number 2. Those are the five that, you know, investigators are sort of looking into as possibilities. But they're that first one, that first one that I named, Cindy Kinney. Cynthia Kinney. 16-year-old cheerleader. 1976, she leaves her parents' laundromat. She's never seen again. And Dennis Rader writes all about Bad Wash Day, one of his projects. He used to call murders projects. His journal, his book manuscript that they found all talk about Bad Wash Day. And so investigators really think it could be that he's talking about Cindy Kinney. And when they dug at his house twice, they found ligatures and chains. They found trinkets and hobby items. And they think they might be connected to Cindy Kinney. So finding resolution on Cindy Kinney's murder after almost half a century would be massive. Not only to the law enforcement who've been working on this case for so long, but family members and friends. Friends in particular, like Tawana Bollinger, close friend of Cindy Kinney, spent years searching for her. And she is live with me here tonight. Tawana, thank you for being here. I wanted to ask you about these recent developments and the very real possibility that the sheriffs think they may actually be able to connect Dennis Rader to your friend's disappearance. Well, I'll tell you what, I was excited when I found out about it. Um, in the beginning, you know, I I didn't know what to think about it because, you know, Cindy's not the first unsolved murder in Pasco. So, you know, I really just didn't know. But the more evidence I hear the more I'm almost convinced he is. You spent years driving yes. around Pahaska and the surrounding communities. Walk me through those, those decades that you kept looking for her. We drove back roads. We drove out to oil rigs. We drove pastures. We walked that lake. I mean, year after year after year, just hoping, just hoping to find something. And we just never did. Does she have any family um, still alive, uh, aware of these new developments? Yes, her mom and dad are still alive. Uh, we're just not wanting to disturb them right now. And she's got cousins over in Pasco. So presumably that I'm sure I'm sure they're aware of it over there. But that's what I was going to say. Presumably the, the sheriffs are, you know, treating them with kid gloves as they continue this work and hopefully finding resolution for this family. Again, it's been almost a half century that they have not seen her. Can you tell me about the last time you saw Cindy? Do you know, I've been asked this question more than once and it's been a lot of years, but I've thought and thought and thought about it. And I just cannot pinpoint the last time I seen her. The last time I spent a significant amount of time with her was during cheerleading camp that summer. But um, 
that wasn't a very last time I seen her. I'm sure, you know, Pasca's so small, we pass each other every day. Sure. And she was 16 and a cheerleader when she disappeared yes. from, from the laundromat. Can I ask you, Tawana, what justice and closure um, would feel like after this much time, knowing that Dennis Rader's already serving 10 life sentences? You know, if we could just find out the truth to get some closure for her family, I really highly doubt if we'll ever find her body. It's been too many years. It'd be but something else, though, right? If you if you could find that as well, the connection to we Raider and the location that yes. would be um, that would be remarkable. Um, I hope we can stay yes. in touch, Tuan. I really appreciate you being on um, and sharing your thoughts about Cindy with us because she seemed like a really sweet sixteen year old cheerleader. She was. She was. The most, she never had an enemy, and everybody loved her, and that's why this was such a big shock to everybody because she was just so well loved. And um, I really, I really appreciate you having me on tonight. Well, Tawana Bollinger, we're thankful that you did this. Thank you in her honor as well. Much appreciated. Yeah, she was well loved. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll speak under better circumstances in the future. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Coming up after the break, they take an oath. It's called the Hippocratic Oath, or it's also called the Nightingale Pledge. And with that, medical professionals promise to do no harm. And yet... Some of them do on purpose, and some of them really enjoy it. So who are these twisted doctors and nurses using medicine to murder? When we come back, we are outing the worst of the worst, and we're going to show you where and how they do it the most. next? Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. BTK, Dahmer, Bundy, Gacy, those are names that invoke some kind of emotion, some reaction. For me, it's the Willies. Every time I hear their names, knowing what they all did, filthy, vile serial killers with big lists of kills to their names. But do you get the same feeling when you hear the names Letby, Cullen, Shipman, and Wetlauer? Do you even recognize these faces? Because the kill numbers for these people are off the charts. They're higher than the guys you just saw. And what's even more astonishing is that these are people who dedicated their lives to caring for us, making sure we were safe and healthy, making sure we'd survive whatever illness brought us into the hospital. They're doctors and nurses. There's a name for people like this, an actual thing. They're called medical serial killers. What do you know? And the shocking thing is they use the tools that are provided to them right there in the hospital to do their evil deeds. And then they admit to it. They just say, yeah, I did it. I couldn't help myself. I I really struggled to try to get my head around what it would be for these people to do what they did. Let me give you a list of some of the things that they did, okay? Let's start with Lucy Letby. This is pretty recent. She's a nurse in Britain. Uh, She was found guilty of killing seven babies, 
She attempted to kill six more. She injected air into the blood and stomachs of the little babies. She overfed them milk. She physically assaulted them. She poisoned them with insulin. And in her home, they found notes saying, I killed them on purpose. I am evil. I did this. She got life in prison. Lucy, let be. Elizabeth Wetlauer was a nurse in Toronto, Canada. And over nine years, she injected elderly victims fatal doses of insulin. Uh, she killed eight people. She tried to kill six more. She confessed to a friend, and that's when it finally stopped. Uh, she said, I just did it for gratification. I would get something called a red surge. She got eight life sentences. Dr. Harold Shipman in Britain, here's a real peach, uh, from 1975 to 1998, uh, the trusted family physician used lethal doses of diamorphine to kill mostly his elderly patients. He's charged with only 15 murders. But it's speculated that he might have actually killed 250 patients. Unfortunately, they didn't have a whole lot of evidence on him because he falsified the records to show that the people who died were in poor health. And he took his own life. A coward. Did that in prison in 2004. Charles Cullen was a nurse in New Jersey. He poisoned his patients with blood thinners and insulin. He confessed to killing 40 that was between 88 and 2003. It is speculated that he might have killed 300 plus. He claims he did it out of a sense of mercy, and he's serving 18 consecutive life sentences. So what motivates these people? Why do they do it, especially in the profession they're in? Catherine Ramsland is a professor of forensic psychology. She's the author of the book Inside the Minds of Healthcare serial killers. You're the perfect guest yet again, Dr. Ramsland. Do they go into the profession because they want to do this or do they evolve into killers when they're in the profession? It's really a small percentage who are predators from the start. And I think Shipman's a good example because he started killing pretty quickly after getting his registration as a doctor. He, he started pretty quickly, but most of them develop it on the job, either from pressure from a mental illness, from the desire to decrease the workload or even set up a colleague. Um, most of them really are, do not enter as predators, but the predators see an atmosphere of trust where there isn't very much accountability because people assume they're there to be helpful, to yeah. heal. That's, so they take that's the oath. <laughs> that's the oath they yeah. take, do no harm. So. You know, obviously people watching would say, well, next time I'm in the hospital, what should I be looking out for? Is there anything that anybody can actually look out for? What are the red flags? Um, I don't know that patients can look out for, but colleagues can and hospital administrators can. They can learn about some of the red flags behaviors that we have seen that many of these people have in common so that if they begin to see half a dozen or more of the behaviors on the list, they can put that person under surveillance, they can document things, they can can just be a little bit more focused on, on what this person might be doing. I was reading some of your notes and it, I thought, wow, this actually sounds very logical, but I don't know that anybody would think uh, if, if co-workers are using nicknames for them uh, because of the number of deaths that have occurred on their watch, if Patients die unexpectedly. Uh, if they move around a lot from institution to institution, uh, if they like to predict the patient's uh, death, um, if they prefer shifts with fewer coworkers, um, if they're associated with several different incidents at several different institutions, if they prevent others from checking on certain patients, and if they lie about personal information for no reason, and if they 
obviously collect things like poison. <laughs> that would be an obvious. But this one was interesting to me. They like to talk about the death either with the family of the deceased or with co-workers. Can you talk to me a little bit about about Letby and, and what she was doing after killing the, the people, the babies that she killed? Yeah, she would hang out with the families of the of the infants that died. And I think it was to kind of absorb that sense of of her power, of, of the fact that she's the one that t- had the power of life and death over these infants. And then hearing the grief of the of the families of the decedents, that just gave her a rush. Did the others do that as well? Is this sort of a common trait that they like to sort of uh, wallow in the despair that they cause uh, for other people? There are quite a few who are. Colin was like that. Um, quite a few of them, actually, especially if, they, if they've if they been around children. They seem to really enjoy, they, they often will put in more hours than they really need to. They come in early. They go out late because they want to be close to the action. Part of it is to get attention, but part of it is to feel as if they're part of this and they're the ones who are really responsible for it. It's just, you know, it's mind-blowing. I mean, serial killing is mind-blowing to start with, but then to think that these people can get away with it for so long because everybody thinks they're gods and they're, you know, Florence Nightingales. Um, Catherine Ramsland, always good to have you. Thank you. I'm going to plug your book again, Inside the Minds of Healthcare Serial Killers. Uh, Look forward to our next visit. Thank you. Dr. Ramsland has been such a wealth of information for us on this program. Uh, Very thankful to her. Coming up next... She was a sex counselor to the biggest stars of Hollywood. She was also Drew Carey's fiance at one time. And I say was not because she was fired, not because she was canceled in Hollywood. No, Dr. Amy Harwick was murdered and then she was thrown off of her balcony. So is her killer going to pay with his own life? Wait until you hear what the defendant is telling the judge. I have that next. Everybody knew Amy Harwick. Everybody. Because she was a sex therapist and a marriage counselor to all the Hollywood bigwigs, right? She was also engaged at one time to Drew Carey, so that was kind of a famous thing, too. Everybody knew her. And so when she died in 2020, it was a big deal. But then when everybody found out she was actually murdered, it was colossal. Because she wasn't just murdered. She was murdered and thrown off of her third-story balcony. That's where the police found her. And it was not but a minute before they arrested a former boyfriend. Surprise, right? But this was a bit weird because he was like an ex-boyfriend from eight years ago. And she had two restraining orders against this guy. She dated him briefly eight years ago. And still this. He was arrested and thrown in under no bail, And now his trial is starting, right? This is the guy that police say did it. His name is Gareth Purse House. Um, Amy told friends that she was scared. She thought she was being followed. At the crime scene, they found a syringe with a lethal dose of nicotine. They found Gareth's DNA underneath Amy's fingernails. That's usually a giveaway. But opening statements... And Lauren Mathias is here for me 
She and her husband, John Mathias, host the Hidden True Crime podcast and YouTube channel. They've been all over this case since it broke. So what is it that he is saying since there's so much evidence, Lauren, that he was there and they got him like, you know, in a nanosecond? What, what is his story? Right. Yeah. He's not going to try to deny that he was actually there or that he broke into her home line in wait. He's going to claim that he uh, wasn't there to to murder her, despite a syringe, you know, found at the crime scene as well, filled with a lethal dose of nicotine. And the fact that she had manual strangulation marks around her neck, in addition to the fall, they're going to try to say that in all of this, uh, he had no intention of harming her that she just happened to fall to her death or or fling herself over the balcony I guess as, as we're all prone to do right we just fling right, ourselves right. off of third store balconies you know it happens all the time so let me play a quick uh piece from the defense attorney's opening statement uh regarding what their strategy or what their story is for for gareth have a look at this he set a chain of actions into motion that led to her death but the evidence will show that he never intended on killing her. Ah, now there's a different story than I wasn't there. It's not me. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. I just didn't mean to do it. So what's like, what's the story that they're saying, or at least what's, what's the story prosecutors are saying led up to all of this? Because he's a boyfriend from eight years ago. He is. He's a boyfriend from eight years ago. It was a relationship from her 20s, right? And, and then she files two protection orders against him what led up to it was a chance encounter at a mm. award ceremony where he was a photographer. She shows up a uh, many witnesses at this event where he was angry. He said, you ruined my life, right? This isn't the first time he's played huh. victim. It sort of seems to be a theme, right? Ashley in his life, you ruined my life. And, and then he started calling her and started the stalking sort of started all over again until this Valentine's Day, this fateful evening where where he took things into his own hands and so, if prosecutors so have the story right you know because this is we're in the trial now so we'll hear a lot more okay real quickly on this one since she's like a sex therapist and, and marriage counselor to the stars are we going to see like a bunch of very famous people coming in to testify what are we expecting on this yeah, you know, Gareth, he was a photographer oftentimes in the adult, uh, the adult entertainment industry. And there were a lot of name dropping today uh, about some future testimony from people in that industry. So I think we're going to hear a from a lot of names that people might have heard before and um, to, to be determined. Lauren, as I often say, call me, keep in touch on this one. I want to know how this goes. Thank you for this. Absolutely. Thanks, Ash. Lauren Mathias, always great to have her, host of the Hidden True Crime podcast. Okay, coming up next, something tells me that this neighbor had no idea that he was on candid camera when he did this. What do you think it is he's doing? Look closely, really closely. There's a clue here. But, but here's a bigger clue. He's facing felony battery and a host of other charges for what he just did there, that, that little thing he just did. After the break, I'm going to tell you exactly what it was he was up to and why this PhD student will likely never, ever, ever be a doctor now. Hi, I'm Ryan Blaney, a third generation race car driver. 
and I dedicate a lot of my time going fast. But when my grandpa was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it was a very unexpected bump in the road for us. It's important to notice if older family members are acting differently or having trouble with routine tasks. Early detection of Alzheimer's can give your family time to explore support services and access available treatments. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's. Talk about seeing a doctor together. Visit alz.org slash time to talk. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. As an adult, kids want to know you're listening to them, but they also want to listen to you. When it comes to alcohol, they want to know your expectations and how and why to avoid underage drinking. Talking early and often about it in everyday conversations reinforces your message and keeps lines of communication open. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. I'll be by your side. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Maybe he was born with his witty humor. Some people bring joy wherever they go. Some whenever they go. Or as a frontier newspaper reporter. There's nothing to be learned from the second kick of a mule. Maybe he got his insights from being a riverboat captain. Never argue with a fool. Onlookers may not be able to tell the difference. Wherever he went, Mark Twain found humor all around. Humor. Pass it on. From PassItOn.com. End your summer right with HP's best tech products at the lowest prices with up to 67% off from laptops and desktops to printers, monitors, and more, as well as free shipping store-wide. Whether you're going back to school or back to work, find amazing deals on HP Envy, Spectre, and Pavilion computers, as well as printers and monitors. You don't want to miss the amazing Labor Day savings at HP.com. Thanks for listening to News Nation on the go. I'm Marnie Hughes, delivering fact based, unbiased news from all sides. Meet Keith, loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so accident avoided. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000-pound bus. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Being an Army Ranger is a very fast-paced lifestyle. I was clearing a weapons cache in Haditha, Iraq, when the building collapsed on me, burying me alive. I spent six months in the hospital and a year of recovery. When I was separated from the military, I just felt like I was useless because I only had this one thing that I was supposed to do, and then that one thing was taken away from me. But then one day, I got a call from Wounded Warrior Project. They asked me to come to a workout, and I decided that I was gonna get better, both physically and mentally. Now I'm a warrior leader. I create events and opportunities for other veterans locally. Wounded Warrior Project did a phenomenal job reminding me that my injuries aren't going to define who I am. And because of that, I can do anything that I want. 
See how we help warriors combat stigma at woundedwarriorproject.org slash combat stigma. My name is uh, Jinghui Zhang. I'm the chair of a computational biology department at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. As a data scientist, I feel so excited about seeing the potential impact, not only on the kids treated at St. Jude, but across the world. And I think this is a great use of the trust we got from our donors. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Simple question. What on God's green earth is this guy doing? It's a hidden camera footage recorded by a family in Tampa, Florida. It's a man with a syringe squirting something under the door of his upstairs neighbor's condo. What he was squirting was poisonous, and it made the family inside that condo very sick. Here's the story. He lived downstairs. He had a history of making noise complaints against the young family upstairs for things like vacuuming and footsteps and even opening and closing dresser drawers and toilet lids. Strangely, he didn't complain much about the sound of the newborn baby crying. That didn't seem to bother him. At least he didn't complain about it. But when that family, including the newborn, started smelling the chemicals and getting sick, they installed this hidden camera outside and looky, looky what they recorded, multiple attacks. This is a chemistry PhD student. And after the video surfaced, he was arrested. He now faces charges, uh, they are felonies, by the way, of possessing a controlled substance, battery, and aggravated stalking. That syringe contains liquid methadone and hydrocodone. Both of them are opiates. And although everyone in the family got sick, including the newborn, they have since recovered. And Tampa's worst neighbor now has a court date coming up. But I think it is safe to say he does not have a graduation date coming up. Thank you, everyone, for being with us through this program. Look forward to seeing you right back here tomorrow. Cuomo's next.